Scripture passage this morning comes from the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. It is Jesus who speaks. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Now that's quite an image for a perfectly pleasant Sunday morning when we're going to have ice cream later. It's a powerful image. It's a harsh image. It's a beautiful image. It's inspiring. It's puzzling. That story heard in your reading has been often used to divide it has often been read or heard as a literal blueprint for some final judgment proving the absolute existence of hell 
for the disobedient. But I want to propose something a little different than that today. I want to say that this story may, may be more about this life than it is about earning the next life. Let's start with some context as to why I'm suggesting that today. First, the context of the intent of the whole gospel. For this, I want to go to John 3, 17. The verse right after the one you often see on signs in football stadiums or elsewhere or on the back, on the side of barns as you're driving down the highway. The verse that says, indeed, God did not send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The intent of the gospel is salvation, not condemnation. So if this story is part of that intent, if this story serves the same ultimate purpose, let's think that that purpose is not meant to define first who is in and who is out, but its intent is to rescue us, to spur us on, to encourage us, to accompany us, as we heard last week, on our way of salvation. Its purpose is not to damn, but to save. Second, let's look at its context in the 25th chapter of Matthew. That chapter is three stories. First two are very clear to be parables, stories Jesus told to make a point. They begin by saying the kingdom of God is like. The first of the kingdom of God is like ten bridesmaids, some of whom have oil for their lamps as they go to the celebration. Others who don't have oil in their lamps, they sleep overnight. The oil runs out. The next morning, those who had extra oil got to light their lamps and go into the wedding party. Those who didn't went out to buy oil. They get to the oil. The door is locked. They can't get in. The point being, pay attention. The second story, often called the parable of the talents. A landowner goes off to a far land on vacation, gives a portion of his wealth to three servants, gives more to one, a little bit more, some to the other, and just a little bit less to another. Those who are given the talents go out and are supposed to take charge of them. A couple of them invest the money and take care of it, and they come back to the landowner when he comes back from his time away, and they give him more back than he gave them, and he says, well done, and he rewards them each. And the third one says to him, I know that you are fierce and a tyrant, and you would punish me if I wasted this, and so I simply buried what you gave me, and here it is back. You didn't do anything wrong. And he is condemned. Moral of the story, pay attention. Third story is this one. 
It doesn't begin with the kingdom of God is like, but it's in the sweep of those stories. And one can assume that this is also about the kingdom of God. One can read this as a shift to a literal prediction of the end of time. Or one can read this as another story in the flow of stories. As a picture or an image that's there to teach us, perhaps, perhaps, the same lesson. The kingdom of God is a celebration of awareness. To use a phrase from Ivan Illich. This account of the promised one coming at the end of time as a king on a throne with all the nations before him, dividing all the nations and all the people into the sheep and the goats, this teaches. Consider for a moment that this is about raising the stakes, about showing the difference between heaven and hell right here in real time when we don't pay attention. Now, I'm not saying this is the only way to interpret this, and all other ways are wrong, but I think it's credible. Hear it again. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the promised one will take his place in his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out the sheep and the goats, putting sheep at his right and goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed of my Father. Take what's coming to you in the kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped by to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will say, I'm telling you a solemn truth Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. I was in prison and you never visited and I was sick. And then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or 
shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help. And he will answer them. I'm telling you a solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Kind of raises the stakes of our ministry, don't you think? Kind of raises the stakes of your own life, too, a little bit. It kind of sets a profound, beautiful, and yet impossible standard for us to meet. I mean, this is a whole lot more to the point than a vague kind of, you're fine if you're just a nice person. No one can really expect more of you than that. I mean, life is complicated after all, and you know, you always, you, you got to take care of number one first and the people closest to you. Let the missionaries and the philanthropists and the politicians take care of everything else. I'll just keep upping my giving if I can, when I can, now and then. Now that this parable, this story, this image is way more direct than that. Our relationship with our very creator is part of every encounter we have in life. Anyone who is hungry or thirsty or out of place or naked or sick or imprisoned, and not just those specific needs. This is a rhetorical device as old as the Greeks, the particular used to evoke the whole. This list of six, repeated over and over again in this passage, is there to raise a question of the rest. It is there to invite us to think about who is calling to us in all sorts of ways and all the ways in which we respond. It is to evoke the yes and of faith-filled living. Let's just try one example in there. Visiting those in prison. He doesn't measure our faithfulness just by how we treat those who are falsely imprisoned or unjustly imprisoned or political prisoners, keeping in mind that he was part of an oppressed community with political prisoners when he was saying this. He simply says, prisoners, irrespective of who they are. But you and I, myself included, are not measured just by whether we go down to the lower Buckeye jail, down near where the 17 meets the 10, and turn the video on and talk to someone. It surely matters if we can and know how, and we're told to do it. But we are not, but are we not, excuse me, are we not also invited here to consider all kinds of ways in which people lose their freedom to any kind of prison, whether by their own choices or not? In addiction, in discrimination, 
in forces of culture, in cycles of self-destruction, in other forms of oppression, the isms and the phobias that shape our fear of each other and leave us hating more than loving, or leave us simply to walk around each other and avoid each other and just protect our own. Does all of this simply mean, by way of listing, all of those who are separated from God in distress or in need or simply waiting? What other kinds of hunger? What other kinds of thirst or dislocation or exposure or illness? We might not, I might not hate people, those who are hungry or thirsty or foreign or naked or sick. I just might be too busy, perhaps caught in my own complicated life, perhaps too busy with trivial things, perhaps overwhelmed by the amount of need before me and just not knowing where to begin perhaps forgetting to pray. None of us can do it all. None of us can fix it all. None of us even knows how, really. But we do know, don't we? We know that the opposite of love isn't hate. We do know, don't we, that the opposite of love is indifference. And this image of Jesus on a throne, with all these nations before him dividing us into groups of sheep with love, however imperfectly, and goats walking away, this image is, if nothing else, a word against indifference. But oh, it's also more. It's also a word of how we care and love each other. Some of you may know what's been called the parable of the long spoons. Some of you may not. There's a version of it also called the parable of the arms without elbows. It's not in the Bible, but it's found in many cultures, and it's an interesting commentary on this very story we read today. It's an image of a table where people are eating together and a measure of how you can tell whether that table is in hell or in heaven. Consider having no elbows, having arms that are straight and trying to feed yourself. Could you with a normal spoon or fork? Probably not. And in that table where everyone's trying to feed themselves, they are starving and that is the table in hell. And then the other table in which people have discovered that if you turn out and use your spoon to take food from your neighbor across the table and feed them, they will do the same and feed you. And all will eat in a banquet of abundance because they are feeding each other. This parable is the image of the realm of heaven described in this very story. Hell is trying to feed yourself. Heaven is when folks feed each other. 
Hell is when we think that the redemption of our enemy interferes with our own. Heaven is a kind of reconciliation when the redemption of our enemy is as important as our own and intimately linked, even if we know we have to wait for it. Hell is a zero-sum game when some win and some lose. Heaven is abundance multiplying over and over again. Hell is not what's coming if we turn away. Hell is turning away itself. Hell is not punishment for lack of compassion. Hell is lack of compassion itself. Hell is not on the other side of judgment and condemnation and rejection. Hell is the very act of rejection, condemnation, and judgment without mercy. And heaven, for its part, is awareness, attention, curiosity, finding ourselves as we live with each other in shared work, in shared purpose, in shared humility and openness, and in prayer together, and finding God in between. Several of you were at our celebration for the Park Center for Faith and Life last Sunday following our worship service. And you were able to see a beautiful video prepared by Kelly and Mike and Jordan Ray for that event. In that video, in research for it, I actually found and listened to the last sermon that the Reverend Fran Park, for whom the center is named, preached in this sanctuary. Many of you remember Fran. Many of you don't know and never met him. But he was a pastor here on the staff for about 10 years, and his vision for adult education inspires our Park Center for Faith and Life, which is why it is named for him. In his final sermon here, he tells a story about his first church in Ohio, when he had a young family in the congregation that was pretty, that uh, not long after they got married, in sequence, they rapidly had five children. And uh, talking to the husband of the family at one point, Fran took him aside and said, uh, I, I, aren't you getting a little overexcited? And he said, isn't it time to maybe uh, take a little step back here? I mean, what's going to happen if something happens to you and your wife? What's going to happen to your children? And he says in this sermon, the husband responds, oh, uh, that's all taken care of. And Fran says, what? He says, yeah, if, if, we, if I suddenly die and I'm gone, I just told my children to go to church. He said, I mean, they were baptized here, and the church stood up when they were baptized and made a commitment to take care of them. And Fran says in that moment he learned more about the church than in any class he ever took in seminary. This is the church. Heaven is trusting that there is always room for another at the table. Always. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And heaven is believing that when we put an extra chair out for Jesus, Jesus tends to fill that chair with one of his children. So here's the deal. There is something objective about faith beyond our mere feelings about it. We are called to live a certain kind of life by God's grace, not to earn something, but to be part of what is true. 
And there is something objective about church, beyond what any one of us likes or doesn't like about it. We have work to do, work which takes attention and awareness and sacrifice and love and is a part of what is true. And most of all, it is made possible by the one who calls us to him, not to condemn, but to save. Amen.